Look, I don't know if you guys have heard about this article in the New York Times about honeybees vanishing. The honeybee is vital to the environment. Bees, Scotty. Bumblebee! Killer bees. Are you endowing these bees with human motives? Yeah. Bees are funny. You're not interested in what happened to the bees. Do you have any idea what those bees can do? Welcome to Killer Bees, a podcast where we profile B-movie and genre film icons. My name is Garrett Smith. And my name is Story Potenza. We can be found everywhere on the internet at Killer Bees Podcast. That's Killer BS Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and at gmail.com. We're also a part of the Movie John Podcast Network found at moviejohn.com. That's the Philadelphia John, J-A-W-N. Our artwork is by Alex Schneider. Our music is by Christine Rayburn and her partner, Pat. And today we are talking about John Locke himself, Terry O'Quinn. Terry O'Quinn. That's a little confusing because I said another person's name and then said the person's name that we're doing. Because he played a character on a show where characters were named for other people, you see. Yes, yeah. A show that people definitely don't know, more than likely. Yeah, of course not. No one knows what we're talking about. (laughs) Nope. Not a single viewer. They're like so confused. They're oh, like, yeah. what show is this? There probably is someone listening. It's like, what the fuck are they talking uh, about? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think enough time has passed now, too, where it's like there are, you know, just people that have lived their lives and not seen said show. There's so. definitely a generation that is unfamiliar with the ABC television production yep. Lost. Which, I mean, I mentioned it to my coworkers, and none of them had watched it. And we're yeah. just like, okay. And I was like, really? I don't know yeah. anyone that can just like at least talk to me like briefly about this but that's my fault for missing my water cooler moment and not watching it years ago so there you go well anyway we're talking about terry o'quinn today i'm very excited yeah which uh terry o'quinn is i think a very different character for me specifically just because of uh what i like best know him for so it is like interesting that like he is locked to you but he is uh the stepfather to me (laughs) so yeah um cool so i had to learn to make room for daddy god (laughs) um i feel like oh there was something i wanted to bring up uh because we have a avid listener who i interact with on our our uh, instagram account Mm -hmm. um gothic vampire 666 um, complimented us on our Sharon Stone episode um, told us that there is a movie called Scissors uh, that he didn't think we had talked about or they didn't think we had talked about Um, said it's really fantastic and underrated psychological thriller Um, he also mentions a movie called The Mighty which he said is a very powerful drama that Sharon Stone is in those are both Sharon movies yes all right. Um, I feel like I've heard of Scissors, but yeah, okay. Scissors sounded pretty interesting from what I read. So okay. I was like, oh yeah, I, I do want to watch that. So uh, I appreciate the uh, for mentioning that for us too. Yeah, uh, thank you to Gothic Vampire 666. Yes, yeah. Um, which, you know, sometimes when we do these episodes, depending on how many credits people have, we kind of jump around. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I usually focus on like more of the genre-y things when I can or things that just legitimately sound hilarious to me so uh sometimes things like the dramas and stuff get left out we've been um, making more edits to things to sort of like keep things brisk and keep it moving yeah more focused on what we love but that uh makes 
listeners like Gothic Vampire 666. Yes. Very important um, because it does mean we leave some blind spots and, uh, you know, it's very helpful to uh, have listeners kind of fill us yeah. in on that stuff. Because I might totally read something on IMDb and be like, yeah, that doesn't sound that interesting. Or like, yeah, I don't know. It's like not a genre thing. And so when people like remind me that like, oh, there are actually movies, those movies are actually like pretty good. That's yeah. like very helpful. So definitely appreciate it. Very appreciate it. Uh, thanks for looking out. Um, and then I know that uh, we had saw this the other day on Shutter, so I just wanted to bring it up and do like a. Uh, I feel like I had a name for like Killer Bees news about other killers bees, but uh, something about buzz, right? It's yeah. got to be the buzz. Yeah, the buzz. I don't know. Well, yeah. uh, recently for the buzz, uh, yeah. we noticed that um, there is a movie that we talked about that I specifically was really interested in and could not find anywhere um, called. I believe it's like Phantom of the like mall phantom uh, of the mall phantom eric's of the revenge shopping mall something like that right yeah um i'll find out which like i remember seeing this on imdb sounded really wild uh pretty sure john saxon has like a small role in it because uh, it was like very early on that we were talking about this movie uh and i guess it got an arrow release afterwards and now it is on shutter so definitely something to check out because i'm excited to check it out correct and yeah phantom of the mall eric's revenge yes you nailed it sounds ridiculous and i cannot wait to watch it <laughs> yeah i'm looking forward to that too um, but yeah, what uh, what I have mean, we been watching lately? Well, speaking of ridiculous, we saw two pretty ridiculous things recently. What have we seen that's ridiculous? So, I mean, I don't know if I brought it up on here when I watched it last, but you and I went to see a screening of Ricochet, mm-hmm. the 90s Denzel Washington movie co-starring John Lithgow. Mm-hmm. Um, that is fully insane, a totally weird and gnarly movie yep. that I really enjoy. And uh, you came to a screening with me and I thought it was very fun to watch that oh, movie Oh man, together. yep. Uh, John Lithgow is just uh, a 10 the entire movie. He's a fucking cartoon Everything character. that comes out of his mouth, like, literally had me shocked. Like, yeah. I was flabbergasted when he was speaking multiple times. Yes. Uh, it was it was a ride. Uh, yeah, I had seen, like, the last half of this movie with you when you watched it one morning. Mm-hmm. But it was really fun to see with a group of people. Our friend Dan uh, did the showing, which mm-hmm. is really awesome. And Dan always just has, like, so much information that I think is, like, really interesting and useful to kind of give you context about, like, the time the movie was made, kind of comparing it to other pieces as well. Yeah, um, definitely like a sleazy 90s action movie, so it was very fun to watch. He referred to this as a bad vibes thriller, bad which vibes. I thought was an interesting yes. uh, kind of subgenre that he identified and carved out among a lot of like 90s action movies yeah. specifically. Um, and uh, it certainly fits that. Uh, For sure. Yeah. I, this movie is nuts. It's on HBO Max. If people want to watch Ricochet, I highly recommend yep. it. It was very fun to see with a room full of people. Yep. And then get to listen to an old and man. Get to listen to an old guy just <laughs> express very conservative values while trying to, I think, sort of sound like that's not what he was doing, even yep. though that was very clearly yep. what he was doing. Just, uh, you know, violence is bad. And that's yeah. the reason why people do bad things, because movies like this exist yeah. and make them violent. I'm, and it took everything in my power to not just like blow up in the moment. I was just so frustrated. I believe at one point he asserted that all serial killers have said they've seen natural born killers. Oh my God. And like cited that as a reason they killed. Right. Yeah. Not just have seen it, but cited it as. Yeah. uh, And I was just like, who? Like (laughs) cite your sources. What are you talking about? Yes. Uh, Yeah. Great times. Yeah. 
movie that uh, inspires great, great thought-provoking yes. conversation. You know, apparently another thing that actu- actually has inspired killers in the past is Catcher in the Rye, <laughs> a movie that is not violent, or a book that is not violent right. that I remember reading in college. So it's like, you know, people do violent things for a variety of reasons yeah. and find a variety of inspiration. So yeah, yeah. don't blame yeah. movies. Yeah. Idiot. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Correct. Uh, the other weird and wild thing we watched, we watched just last night, also available on Shutter. I did not know what I was getting into when I chose Freeway. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I have talked about this movie with so many people because I posted about it, and there were people that are like, I saw this as a kid, and it totally fucked me up. Yeah. And I, mean, I don't I don't blame them because like, I feel like when we put this on, I was like, oh, this is just one of those like car psychopath movies because yes. that is like a thing. That yeah. is like a weird sub genre and even like maybe vaguely another subgenre that we have enjoyed recently these sort of like um uh like lolita type like you know young girl yeah um, what's the word i'm looking for like it's like a sexual thriller but usually featuring like a young woman and an older man yeah yeah um yeah like kind of like teen erotic thriller yeah um that's what i sort of expected that we were getting into but yeah, boy, I don't even know how to describe this because, like, for a little while, it like, it is so, uh, frankly, dramatically serious about uh, like sexual assaults of various kinds mm-hmm. and having characters like in great specific detail describe yeah uh, moments of assault. Yeah, it was. I it made me very uncomfortable yeah. to sit through. Yeah, yeah. There's like the first twenty minutes of this movie, like, kind of made me want to jump out of my skin. Yeah, uh, but then. All of that is kind of played for fun. It's weird to describe because, like, at it wasn't until the end of the movie that I was like, oh, this kind of feels like a John Waters movie. Right. Like, a lot of the way that it's, like, I don't know, it's kind of, like, sleazy people doing sleazy things and, like, playing a lot of, like, sometimes serious things, like, kind of as jokes in general. And yeah. so it's got it's got that, like, you know... Bad taste, kind bad of. Bad taste for yeah. shock value type yes. stuff. Yes. Which yep. I love. I love Waters. Yeah. And I, I did like this movie, but like, and someone even was like, isn't that loosely like a Little Red Riding Hood <laughs> adaptation? Not so and loose. I was like, I was like, the lead like guy, like the wolf, is named Wolverton. Yes. And they were like, oh, so not so subtle. Yeah, I was like, yeah. yes. <laughs> the opening titles are cartoons of Little Red Riding Little Red Riding. Hood yeah. and the wolf, yep. and she's carrying a red basket at some point early in the movie when it yep. makes no sense for this character to have a basket. It's wild. It, yeah, they they really go for the red riding stuff um, to the point that the finale is totally bonkers and yep. and somehow directly addressing that fairy tale uh, among other things. Yep, it, I it, called it. You which did. Made you totally me happy. called it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a to- It's a crazy movie, it, yep. and it is in such poor taste, but. Yeah, I don't even know what the butt I was about to make is. It just I, is in such poor taste, another but is somehow also entertaining. Another thing I thought about that this would be a very interesting um, double feature with Wild at Heart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because Wild at Heart also is like this very crazy, like 
odyssey of these like two young like crazy people in love but also yeah. has a fairy tale element to it like uh-huh. it feels like cinderella-y at times so it's just like weird that these two movies had like some similarities that i thought about a lot um that is interesting we were also informed by uh, a friend of the show that the sequel is even crazier apparently yeah. i mean this is truly one of the wildest movies i've ever seen in my life yeah freeway and our friend George at Best Little Horror House in Philly, which is a cool podcast people should uh, mm-hmm. check out. That we've been on together. And yeah. yeah. Uh, assures us that the sequel is way crazier. Like, it was like, hey, if you thought that was nuts, like, see the sequel. It's totally bonkers. Mm-hmm. And I I genuinely don't know how that's possible. Yeah, I, I don't know. This movie goes to so many crazy places and plays all of it in such weird tones. Yep. How... Could there be a movie that's crazier than it? This movie escalated, like, so much. Like, every, like, five minutes, it escalated to something else that I was just baffled by. It kept becoming movies that I did not expect it to be, basically. Yeah. I've never seen anything like this, that's for sure. By the way, the sequel is called, I think it's called Freeway 2 Confessions of a Trick Baby. Is that right? Yeah, because I believe they say trick baby in this movie, which yeah. is very funny to me. Yeah, yeah. By the way, this movie stars um, Reese Witherspoon, <laughs> yep. um, and who refers to herself as a trick baby at one point. Oh, I also think it's legitimately good in this movie. Like, oh yeah, she's, she's doing like a wild yeah. fucking yeah. performance, yeah. but she's great. Yeah, this movie asks some very crazy, strange things of her, and yep. she, yeah. And, uh, you know, Kiefer Sutherland is Kiefer Sutherlanding it up in this movie. Yep. Uh, but he works great for this movie, I yep. think. Um, he's good for this role. Yeah. This is a, it's a wild movie. And it is on Shutter. If you want to watch Freeway, you That's can watch true. Freeway. You can. Um, were there other things you wanted to talk about? I just thought those two things were so nuts. I thought they, they deserved to be talked about. I mostly just want to mention, well, one, we watched The Cell, yeah, which I, okay, was great. I thought great. you were to talk about that. That was good. Um, I, I like uh, that, that filmmaker Tarsum uh, sing a lot. I don't think I've seen much from that. You would love The Fall. It stars Lee Pace. We oh. should watch it. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you said Lee Pace. So yes. I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah. You would love The Fall. No follow up. We um, should watch it. Yeah, really liked The Cell. Very strange. Super, um, super weird movie. I had never seen it before. Re- reminded me of some other stuff, too, that now I'm kind of blanking on. Um, but. Yeah. Uh, Another thing I wanted to talk about is that I have been watching the Tomie movies. Um, Mm -hmm. So if anyone is fans of Jinji Ito, Tomie is like a collection of like um, manga that he had like written for years. I think from like the late 80s to the early 2000s, he was writing Tomie stories. Uh, And there are nine movies uh, that have come from this. Absolutely wild. How Uh, many have you seen? I have seen seven now. This is since the last time we recorded, folks, which was like maybe a week and a half ago. Yes. I have seen seven of the Tomie movies. Um, Two of them, I think, are legitimately good. Everything else, I think, is like pretty fun. I've probably rated all of the... The lowest one I've rated is like a two and a half. So I've been very kind to these movies, but... I, this is like me with the Insidious movies. I yeah. was just I watched one and I was like, I think I'm just all in on this. Yeah. Like, let's go. I was kind of just yeah. I mean, Tomie is this like girl that is like beautiful and she is so beautiful that it makes men go crazy to the point where they fall in love with her and they have to murder her and then she comes back from the dead and that just continues to escalate into really crazy ways until there's like literally a movie called Tomie versus Tomie versus Tomie, um, which you know not bad. 
kind of kind of liked that one. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I have uh, Tomie, Another Face, which is technically the second movie, which I wasn't able to find anywhere, and I am currently waiting on a DVD of it. Yeah. And then I will watch the final Tomie movie, which I think is from 2011, called Tomie Unlimited. Yeah. Uh, and then I will have Great completed title. the whole series. Uh, I plan, hopefully, uh, to write something about this. Uh, so fingers crossed that this is something that I get to do. Would you say among... Junji Ito's work that this is like among your favorite of his stuff like is Tomie one of your more favorite stories like the adaptations or like his actual just his actual stuff yeah I think Tomie as far as his collections go uh Uzumaki is my like absolute favorite Tomie is probably my second and then there's just uh, a lot of other great short story collections of his that all have like really fucking wild stories in them. Um, okay. I also just recently watched the it's the Jinji Ito collection on Crunchyroll, and it is um, like anime adaptations of some of the shorts. And there are actually two Tomie stories they do in it, along with some others. And he's just like such a creepy, cool writer. Um, I, we've talked about this before, especially with like Japanese horror. There is there are a lot of interesting, just like cultural differences. And so the way that they like write about horror is really interesting and just like manifests in different ways that like I would never think of and I think is like very creative. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's really why I love it so much. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, and I can't wait for the Uzumaki anime to come out. So right. yeah, yeah, fingers yeah. crossed that that'll be soon. Very cool. Uh, but yeah, that that is uh, enough about me and my love of Tomie <laughs> and Junji Ito. Let us talk about Terry O'Quinn, Let's do it. Um, who really deserves uh, some some time and attention. Sure um, does. So Terry O'Quinn has 125 credits, according to IMDb. Um, I found this quote from him, which I think is really interesting. And as we've kind of like learned about him, I think uh, is just like uh, we've kind of talked about these like. I don't want to say like blue collar actors, but in my head, that's what they are because they are actors that like really think of this as a job and take roles, not because they're like, oh, this is like something challenging or creative, but like they're taking roles because like, yeah, I I need to make money. I need to put food on the table. Like that is why I'm doing this. Yeah. I like that label for for these actors. Yeah. Yep. Um, so there's this quote from him that says, I so rarely turn down a role um, that I can't say I have any regrets in that regard. Uh, there were many roles that I would rather not have done, but having a home and a family requires that we sometimes do things we would rather not. Um, I have done a few roles that I've never watched, and if I happen to be flicking through channels and one pops up, I quickly move on. Uh, it's hard enough to sustain some self-confidence without being reminded of things we've rather uh, not revisit. But in the and it comes with the territory, which is just like, I feel like a very interesting way to kind of think of his career, you know? I wonder if he's ever been flicking through the channels and seen himself and had to be like, wait, what even is this? Like had to watch yep. it for a few minutes to be like, which one of the dumb movies I was in yeah. is this? He's like, oh, I have a stash in this one. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. so it's like this time period. Yeah, it's from this five-year <laughs> period in the 90s, yeah. Um, so Terry O'Quinn was born July 15th, 1952 in uh, Salt St. Marie, uh, Michigan. Uh, he is one of 11 siblings. Good gravy. There's Huge a lot of O'Quinns in the world. fucking family, yeah. Um in the 70s, he came to Baltimore to act in the center stage production of Tartuffe. Tartuffe. Um, he remained at center stage for some years, uh, most notably in Much Ado About Nothing. Cool. Um, he was not only an actor, but also a playwright um, and director. Um, he has written and directed the musical 
Orchestrina. Orchestrina. Um, Orchestrina. Uh, that Jeff Daniels started, wow. which is okay. really interesting. Incredible. Did not yeah. know that. Um, so, yeah, I pe- apparently Quinn, uh, before coming into, like, film and then, you know, throughout his career has just been doing a lot of stage stuff, which actually kind of makes sense uh, when I, I think about his career. to the back of the room pretty well. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, he also, a lot of his credits are television, but mm. he, again, is one of those actors that the pieces of television he was in are, like, so telling of that time. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I love, like, just briefly mentioning all of those. Um, so he starts uh, acting, like, on screen in the 80s. Um, for TV, he was in things like Miami Vice, ABC After School Special, which mm-hmm. I know we've talked mm-hmm. about several times, as well as The Twilight Zone. He makes sense in all of those things to me. Yep. Uh, love him coming back for the 80s Twilight Zone, which I think we've only seen that brief clip right. uh, from, uh, but I would love to watch more of it. Absolutely. Um, in 1980, he was in his first uh, movie role, which was a TV movie called FDR, The Last Year, uh, in which he plays James Roosevelt. Okay. One of the Roosevelts. You know, that's an interesting thing about him that I was literally just thinking about is like, he makes sense to me in any time period. Mm. He's one of those actors that I think you could like, just with a little bit of makeup and costuming, I buy him in the 1930s, the 1950s, the 1970s. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like I could see him doing a lot of like historical yeah. dramas. And so it's stuff. like it's interesting. This is the first thing on the list here. Is like, oh yeah, that makes sense that he he could star in like a historical drama. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's then in Heaven's Gate, uh, which has a crazy cast. Yeah, some we've of talked whom, about it a couple times before. I think. Yeah. So Isabelle Huppert, uh, Brad Dourif, Jeff Bridges, John Hurt, Christopher Walken, like tons of people has been in this yeah. movie. I know you said it's kind of like a a well known like. Well, it's like a famous bomb. Yeah. I believe this movie was very expensive. Yeah. And did like made like no money, and yeah. people now sort of cite it as one of the 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 movies that like. Hollywood started like tightening up those like mm. those purse strings on like the the mid budget high class movie or whatever. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I but I've also heard it's a good movie if you can see like the full cut of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, 1983. He is in a movie which I think I put in here mainly because the name is so crazy. It's another TV movie. Jacobo. Timmerman, Prisoner <laughs> Without a Name, Cell Without a Number. Okay. Uh, I mean, starring alongside Roy Scheider. <laughs> okay, all right. I mean, this already sounds sort of like The Prisoner, just with that title. I don't I know. know why. Uh, a well-respected journalist in Buenos Aires, uh, the editor of a major newspaper, um, L.A. Opinion, is kidnapped by the military for publishing articles that are critical of their terrorist tactics. Okay, it doesn't sound that exciting no, now that you've explained it to me. unfortunately not. Uh, he is also in All the Right Moves. Oh. starring Tom Cruise and Leah Thompson. I've never seen that. I would like to see I that. I have not either. Uh, in 1984, he is in a movie called Mrs. Sofal, <laughs> starring Mel Gibson, like young Mel Gibson, mm-hmm. um, Diane Keaton, Matthew Modine, and Edward Herman, um, who is the grandfather in Gilmore Girls, which is okay. why I put him in. Got Big it. fan yeah. of him. I, I love like, him. I was like, who is that name? Oh, that's why it's yep. important to you. Got it. Um, Diane Keaton stars as a prison warden's wife who falls in love with a death row convict played by Mel Gibson uh, believing course. he's innocent she helps him and convict uh, and his convicted brother try to escape okay that, I mean that's kind of an interesting it sounds kind of yeah. sleazy yeah, yeah yeah I feel like I'm like okay yeah. I hate Mel Gibson but you know um, 
Yeah, he did a ton of TV movies, too. So a lot of these um, are from television, including uh, one that is called Right to Kill. <laughs> like with a question mark? With a question mark. Okay, uh, yeah. From 1985, based on the true story of teens charged in Wyoming for killing their abusive father. Oh, interesting. Uh, and then the same year, he is in Silver Bullet, which we Hell? watched. Yeah. Uh, mainly because this is a movie that I think was talked about recently. Um, it was Gordley and Russ did it for their Stephen King bout right. of movies, right? Yeah. Um, and it sounded pretty entertaining. Yeah. And, and it's like one of the Stephen King adaptations yeah. I haven't seen. Same. So. And I had never really wanted to see it before. I didn't really yeah. have a reason to want to see it before. And then I was hearing them talk about it. I was like, oh, I didn't know Busey's in this movie. And, yeah. You know, so I was like, all right, we should let's check it out. Yep. And I thought it was pretty damn entertaining. Uh, yeah. And the guy from um, the preacher guy, uh, he's in Twin Peaks. He plays a oh, sure. Yes. Is it Big Bob? Not Big Bob. It's something like that. Uh, Big the, Ed. Yeah. The actor's name is Michael Ontkeen, I think, or something like oh, that. Oh yeah. Right? That makes Do sense. Do I have that right? I think yeah. that is. Um, yes. Right. Yes. Um, yeah, and he he's pretty good in this movie. He's got kind of an interesting, weird role in this movie that I thought was fun. Yeah, um, and yeah, like Terry O'Quinn plays the sheriff, which yes. is like a very like Terry O'Quinn kind he's of role. He's good as authority figures, I think. Great as as authority figures, yeah. and and you know makes sense to me as like, and I like him as the uh, you know he's like a small town sheriff in yeah. this, right? Like, there's not a whole lot going on, but now this yeah. thing is happening that he's got to like figure his, his way yeah. around. Yeah. And it's, like, very clear that, like, you know, because it's a small town and, like, bad things like this don't happen there, that, like, he is trying to hold it together as all of these people are, like, trying to enact, like, mob justice. Yeah, and it's, like, he's basically been getting getting by on the fact that, like, yeah. nothing ever happens here, so, yep. like, it's a relatively easy job. But that means the second something does go wrong, everybody's like, these ineffective fucking police, I like, know. let's take to the streets and figure this out on our own. Yeah, and it's a small town where, like, everyone has guns yep. and, like, a lot of hunters, and so you're just like, Jesus Christ, yeah. like, this is going to escalate so fast. It's very funny that within, like, two scenes, he goes from, like, come on, everyone, come on, like, let me do my job to, like, whatever, fucking, wh whatever you're going to do, yeah, go ahead, just figure like, it out. Okay, yeah. yep. <laughs> Um, one thing I thought was really interesting about this movie, though, is that, like, it there was, like, times that I felt, like, maybe a little boring or a slow burn, but when uh -huh. the when the werewolf, like, goes after someone and kills them, like, there are some brutal fucking deaths in yeah, this yeah. movie. I it's, was shocked. It's pretty violent, and um, yeah. I loved the way it looked. It's got yeah, it that, that really, like, nice fall vibes, New England town yeah. sh shot, not Mwah. by Dean Cundy, but, but, but by someone kind of trying to do a Cundy, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I boy, I really just loved the kind of like vibe of this movie. Yeah, I agree. Um, and we talked a little bit about like I, I like too that um, you know the main character is a physically handicapped kid, mm -hmm. and the, the movie kind of like simultaneously goes out of its way and doesn't go out of its way to sort of like he's just a heroic kid yeah. and is also like cool, like he's like a cool kid. Yeah, like. He, pretty early on, there's, like, you know, his mom is so overprotective yeah. that you feel like he doesn't have a lot going on. But, like, there's this girl that, like, very obviously has a crush on him, and he's super charming with her. And she's, yeah. like, she's into him. And I was, like, oh, Well, okay. he's got to, like, do all this, like, physical shit to get around yeah. where he's, like, climbing up the side of his house and stuff yeah. to be able to sneak out. And you realize, like, oh, because of this kid's disability, he w is disability the wrong word to say anymore? Mm. I feel like I'm, I don't totally know what okay. the yeah um because of his disability he's because he's confined to a wheelchair yeah um he like he's had to sort of like 
become like a cool guy. Like mm-hmm. he literally has become a cool guy. He's become this like he's had to like do all of this stuff to figure yeah. his way around life, and it has made him into this like really cool, interesting kid. Yeah. And I like that the movie just plays him for cool and interesting. Yeah. Not really because of his disability or anything yeah. like that. It's like I I think the movie handles that like so well. Yeah, I you know, it's obvious that like uh accessibility is something that they like really focus on this movie. Yeah. And like, you know, especially like um his uncle is like kind of a drunk and is played by Gary Busey, but yep. the one thing is that like he always just treats him like a regular kid yep. and like finds cool ways to make him feel like he is really awesome and special yeah. and like can can do as much as anyone else, and that's right. like one of the things that I I really love about it. Right. Yeah. Right. And like you said, in contrast to his mother, who is like very overprotective. Yeah. 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 I I thought this movie was pretty cool. Yeah. I I think you're right. It's like a little boring in some parts or whatever, but it just, when it's, when it's cooking, it's really cooking. I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Busey's given a good big Busey performance. Yeah. 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 Good kids. I love like good kid actors. Um, then in 1986, he is in Space Camp uh, with <laughs> Leah Thompson. Have you seen that? No. Uh, Leah Thompson, Kelly Preston, Joaquin Phoenix, who is credited as Leaf Phoenix, uh-huh. which yep. I didn't know that was a thing, yeah. uh, and Tom Skerritt. Uh, the young attendees of a space camp find themselves in space for real when their shuttle is accidentally launched into orbit. Yeah, this is like a classic like 80s kids movie that I just like kind of missed yeah. me. I, I seem to remember like Space Camp was a big deal in the mm. 90s when I was growing up. And I suspect it's largely because of this movie that kids even kind of like knew what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then in 1987, he is in one of my all time favorite horror movies, The Stepfather. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, one of the things he's best known for and probably will continue to be known for The Stepfather. Yep. Uh, I have a quote from here, him about it. He says, The Stepfather was the first film I sort of carried a film or led in the film. And doing it was fun, and it felt very special. Afterwards, though, I was terrified. I just thought, wow, this is basically going to be about me. If this film is a success or a failure, a lot of it's on me. Uh, they released the film just here and there and now and then, and it got critical acclaim. Um but it was never much of a success in terms of box office. A lot of people watched it after the fact. Um, it's sort of a cult thing. I still have people mention that to me from time to time, um, which makes sense. I feel like mm-hmm. this is definitely one of those movies that, like, after the fact, like, people are like, oh, you got to watch The Stepfather. And we've talked about it because Jill Sholene is the daughter in it. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about this one before. This is one of the first movies we've talked about. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I suspect this was probably a big VHS rental. I believe mm-hmm. that's why I know and I'm familiar with this movie, yep. even though I had never seen it until we did our Joel, mm-hmm. our Jill Sholene episode. Um, I think it probably was at my video stores growing up. Yep. And that's why I remember the cover. I also think this movie, you know, this movie speaks to me in really interesting ways where like I have this whole thing about really enjoying soap opera to a certain Mm -hmm. extent and this movie plays almost as if it's a lifetime movie but like actually allowed to be R-rated and and all of the things that it's also a little sanded down for an actual lifetime movie it's also from this period of like uh all of these like killers that are like I guess supposed to be kind of like, you know, middle class, like white dudes that are supposed to be like the breadwinners and stuff like the dentist. And yeah, like a lot of these movies where it's just like very interesting that uh, we are kind of taking men who are oftentimes problematic and making them the killer for the first time. But just that idea of being like, oh, like a stepfather is the killer. Like um, and I think O'Quinn is so perfect for this because he 
really does a great job of being really charming. Like he's got this big smile. He's got a really expressive face that's like very warm at times. But then also like he's chilling and terrifying at other moments. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, this is where, you know, this is all my John Locke stuff that I like so much. Yes. is like on full display here where he can really play two sides. He can be a light and a dark side in, yep. in very interesting ways and, and sort of be charismatic and electrifying in mm. both Right. Like whether he's yeah. playing the dark or the light side, he can be kind of like charismatic and electrifying, which is really cool. The other thing is like he's like the look I was talking about before. It's like in this movie, part of the whole deal is that like he can kind of like costume himself with like a little yeah. bit of makeup and appear to be like an entirely different person. Mm -hmm. And they really take advantage of that. And that's like one of his like things where it's like his the particular way that he is balding throughout his career mm -hmm. and can just either have a mustache or not a mustache yeah. and throw a little toupee on that head or whatever. It's like he can be like eight different types yeah. of dude with just like a different hairpiece and, and a slightly different like styling, you know? Yeah, because I think I saw something where he mentions that he like started balding like when he was pretty young. Um, so yeah. this is a thing he was just kind of dealing with and, you know, really makes it work in a lot of ways. I um, like that he kind of like wears it so proudly through a lot of these roles. Like yeah. he does, he's got that like halo thing going on yeah. in some of his roles that like, my understanding is many men are like embarrassed by that. And he just like kind of like rocks it confidently yeah. uh, in some of his roles, which is cool. Yeah, I feel like this is, like, the first Terry O'Quinn movie. And, like, he doesn't get to star in a lot of movies. Right. Um, He's often I supporting. Yeah, often supporting. And he does get, like, a decent amount of recurring roles in... Um like television TV is where he stars in a lot of stuff. Yeah. But he's got range. Like yeah. he's such a great actor. Yes. Um, and I think this really is like one of the first things that showcases that in a yeah. way that's really cool. And also just a terrifically entertaining movie. Yeah. Like if, so if you've fun. not seen it, like the stepfather is so worth seeing. I fucking love it. It's yeah. so entertaining. Um, so after that, he is in Black Widow, which we also watched because yeah. it just sounded so interesting to me. Um, a federal investigator tracks down a gold digging woman who moves from husband to husband to kill them and collect the inheritance. Literally like the stepfather, but it's like the gold digger girlfriend, right? Yeah, it's a, but so it's, it's like, like the same thing. Yeah. It's, yeah. And he's like uh like a supporting character in this. He's yeah. like the investigator's boss. Mm -hmm. Um which like he's so interesting too because he's like kind of this father figure but then kind of puts the moves on her at one point. Yes. yes. Um but like all of it is done in such a way where he like uh I don't know. He like I think he's very charming in this movie. Mm -hmm. uh, part of it too is um and I now can't think of the actress's name but part, so her reactions to him uh, I think allow for some of the potential creepiness on his character's part to to not feel so creepy. If yeah. That makes sense. Um, uh, Deborah Winger, yeah. Uh, Deborah Winger is who stars in this movie. She's great in this movie, Yeah, I, um, I loved both of the women in this movie, and yeah. this turned into one of those, like... Teresa Russell is the uh, the other actress. Yeah, like, this This feels like it's got some, like, Killing Eve energy, where mm. it's got some, like, clear, like, sapphic, like, uh, romance going on under the surface that I was, like, fully on board with. This was such a cool movie, just in, like, the way that it evolved through, like, its acts. Yeah. Where, like, I didn't expect it to become, like, this kind of, like, 
erotic story between her and who she was hunting, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so when it when it all of a sudden almost becomes like a basic instinct type story, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know we were going here, you know? It's great. And, uh, yeah, they, it really, and it's a, a really beautifully shot movie too. There's a lot of like interesting um, uh, like colors and lighting schemes throughout the movie. Yeah. Uh, I thought this was just like really pretty good. Uh, it's It's weird. It's a weird movie. It also like, it's got this like rapid pace where mm-hmm. like scenes seem to end like right in the middle of scenes and they'll they'll reference like hey you know if that guy dies and then you just the next scene is like oh he died 6 months ago yeah. but it's like you just have to the movie is constantly making you play catch up with it but in a way that i found very entertaining once i got like yeah, into what it yeah it was like based on a book or something cuz that would kind of make sense to yeah. me if it's just oh but it also just has like a lot of crazy appearances like james hahn is in this movie yeah, yeah. um oh who plays like one of the early husbands yeah hold on I, I forgot, but I know. He, oh yeah, Dennis Hopper. Uh-huh. Yeah, so really crazy cast that way. Yep. Um, after that, uh, 1988, he is in the movie Young Guns, which another crazy cast: Emilio Estevez, Kiefer Sutherland, Charlie Sheen, Dermot Mulroney, Lou Diamond Phillips. Yeah. Um, which I, I guess it's a Billy the Kid movie. Um, it's like him and his gang. There's two of these. These mm. were like. Rat Pack Westerns, essentially. So weird. Yeah. Um, I saw these on TV growing up, but I don't remember them that much. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and then after that, he's in the movie Pin, which I had wanted to watch for a while. So I was like, well, now I'm going to watch Pin, I guess. And we sure did watch Pin. Holy shit. What a crazy, like, really chilling movie just because, like, of how uncomfortable the subject matter often is. Yep. Um, also, like, uh, our friend Rosalie um, of Movie John told me that the book is somehow even crazier than this, so I need to, I'm, like, ready to hunt down the book and read it, because whew, what a movie. Yeah, this is one of those, like, paperbacks from hell, quote-unquote. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, the, the premise is that, like, a, a doctor has a, a, a anatomical model uh, yep. um, that he anatomically sort of, correct. Y- yes, like, partic- Yeah, it has a penis. I think it, is yep. what we're supposed to get. Oh, it does. Yeah, um, uh, <laughs> that he attributes a voice to. Like he sort of what's the word I'm looking for? He's doing like a ventriloquist. Ventriloquist. Act. Yes, he's yeah. doing he, like. And I think it's meant to be like a cutesy thing that he does with his patients, like to help kids understand what yeah. it is they're being told. But it's also weird because like nothing else about too. but nothing else about him is cutesy. Like right. he is this very serious, like really like strict father figure. Right, right, yeah. Um, right, yeah. They, and like, so it is really weird that that's the one thing that is maybe playful, but then it like that even makes it feel like it's not playful. Like it's it is just another weird thing that's going on with this like horrible family Very dynamic. weird family, yeah. But then, you know, the the thing is that pin, which is the, the mm-hmm. name of this model, may actually be a living thing that may be trying to interact with and manipulate the people around it. Yeah, it's hard to say because the son fully believes that Pin is real right. even until uh, even into like uh his teen years. Yes. I think he's like a teenager yes. um in the later half of the film. Like he's like 18 and yeah. still fully believes that yeah. Pin is a person. Yeah, and the um, movie plays uh with us as an audience as to whether we're seeing something that the son is just seeing and making up or yeah. whether he's really having these interactions. It, it toys with the audience and how it depicts that yeah. stuff. Um, but yeah, like the father is like, uh, who is played by Terry O'Quinn is very like 
uh, clinical, yeah. very cold. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, it means that his kids end up being, like, totally messed up. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, they, um, it, it, it is not even implied. It is pretty much directly stated that, like, the only way these kids even know or understand anything about sex is through pin and not even necessarily because their father used pin to explain it to them. Yeah. I mean, he did. There is a scene where he yes. does, but, uh, the brother watches like a nurse, like Have fuck pin with pin. Yeah. yeah it's, it That's, gets weird. Yeah. It gets real strange. And that is just a scene of the movie. We never yeah. come back to nope. the fact that like pin actually has a penis. Nope. Like that is the one yep. thing. Yep. So I gotta read the books. I gotta know, like, yep. if if we come gotta back know to about that. Pin's penis. Got it. Yeah, <laughs> need more details. Um, 1989. He is in a TV movie starring Holly Hunter uh, called Roe v. Wade. So you can guess what that is about. Yeah. Um, yep. I guess I would watch it. I mean, <sighs> maybe not right now since <laughs> things are horrible. Yeah. Um, after that, he's in the film Blind Fury, which we talked about for our Rucker um, Hauer episode. So I remember he is like the um, the main guy that Rucker Hauer is like trying to help. They're like mm. old buddies. Right. And uh, O'Quinn is like in trouble. And that's like what gets his family in trouble. Yeah, and yeah. so um, he's they're kind of like buddies, yeah. which is like. Interesting. Yeah. Rucker um, Hauer and Terry Oakley yeah. hanging out together. Pretty uh -huh. okay with that idea. Yeah. 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 Um, after that, he is in a movie called The Forgotten One. Uh, a recently widowed writer moves into a Victorian house that is supposedly haunted. Although he is attracted uh, um, to his pretty next door neighbor, he finds himself being seduced by the spirit of a woman who has been murdered a hundred years prior in the house. Okay. Kind of interested in that movie. Yeah. Uh, and then he is in Stepfather 2, Make Room for Daddy. Now everyone understands the great joke I made earlier. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's which, an actual line in the movie that is also the subtitle of the movie. Yes, they do say Make Room for Daddy. Um, spoiler alert, my big problem with this is simply that he doesn't actually become the stepfather. Right, yeah. He doesn't he, make it to the... Uh, he never does fulfill the promise yeah. of the title. Yeah, it doesn't make it to the vows. Nope. Yep. Nope. <laughs> um, but one of the things I think is really interesting is that apparently Terry O'Quinn ad-libbed some of his dialogue for this, that which... totally makes sense to me. Yep. He does a lot of wild monologuing in yep. this movie, which may mean he also titled the movie. I mean, he might have just said, make room for daddy in yep. an improv. Uh, but yeah, this is the last of the stepfathers he is in. There is a third sequel after this, and then there is a remake. Yes. Um, Which from I plan like to the watch 2000s. both of those movies eventually. Yeah. Um, but the fact that he came back for it is like pretty insane to me. Yeah, um, especially because like, you know, it's it's not a bad sequel, actually. Like, I, I mostly enjoyed yeah, this movie. Yeah, it's pretty entertaining. It's certainly he's not great. as good as the original, but he's very entertaining. Yeah. But it's like they didn't, they had, like, a very half-baked idea. Yeah. It's, it's surprising he came back because it's like you can tell they didn't even have, like, a full concept of, like, yep. what a good sequel to that movie would even be. He's, like, impersonating a therapist throughout this movie, which yeah. is, is not a bad idea, but also not a complete idea. There's not really... That doesn't mean anything in the movie that he's doing yeah, that, Yeah, really. he's, like, running a support group for, like, women in the neighborhood to just, like, talk about all their stuff in front of yeah. him. It's, like, but, like, he's using that as a front to, like, get one of the wives. Right. Um, 
there is a hilarious scene where he is like clearly trying to figure out how to like find his next, uh, you know, wife to be. Yeah. And it's a victim. We know what's going on. I mean, he doesn't realize that <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's going to happen. He's just trying to make the perfect family. Right. And then when it doesn't work out, he has to kill them. Of course. Obviously. Obviously. Um, but he gets all of those like VHS, like dating oh, tapes yeah. that he is watching. I forget about this until you bring it up every time. And he is just like, it, his reactions to all of the women are so funny because he is just clearly so disgusted with like women that you would find on one of these like VHS dating things, which is why he then turns his focus onto like trying to seduce like the technically married woman whose like husband ran off like years ago. Yeah, yeah it's, it's very weird. It's so funny that this character thinks he might find a woman he'd be interested in on those tapes. Once you see him start watching those He's tapes, like, you're Ugh. like, why did you think this would work for you? It's so funny. His facial reactions are just the best yeah. in that moment. He's great. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth watching for Terry. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, so then we get to him films and roles in the 90s. Um, so he did tons of television. Um, L.A. Law, Star Trek Next Generation, Tales from the Crypt, Homicide, Life on the Streets, Matlock, uh, Millennium, which is one of the Christopher uh, Carter shows um, after the X, or I think the X-Files is still going on at the time. Hmm. Um but he plays like one of the like main recurring characters on Millennium next to um, Lance Henriksen, which uh-huh. is just a great combination of Hell humans. Yeah. Um, apparently, him and Christopher Carter became like really good friends, so he did like a ton of his stuff. That's cool. Um, also, has a recurring role on The West Wing. He is like one of the generals okay. that uh, is like shown a couple times, Makes like sense in the to me as a general. I don't know the war room or whatever it is. I could totally see him in a military uniform. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Apparently, uh, O'Quinn holds the distinction of having played four different characters within the extended X Files. Millennium uh, Continuum. That's interesting. Is that implying that Millennium is like somehow part of the X-Files universe? It could be. It's like it's like very similar in the like I don't know, like shady kind of like paranormal mm-hmm. like things going on. Millennium has like a pretty like specific storyline though. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all like tied to like literally like the Millennium coming mm-hmm. and like all of this weird stuff being tied to like getting to the year 2000 Mm -hmm. which is like interesting i've only seen some episodes um i think my dad had it on like dvd or something um uh so then we get to his roles um 1990 uh he was in prisoners of the sun with russell crowe and george takai which is an it was an australian war film okay um in 1991 he was in the rocketeer which i know you said you've seen mm-hmm. um he plays howard hughes in the oh, movie that's so interesting okay that what a cool role for him yeah yeah i mean the rocketeer is like something that was on disney channel a lot when i was growing up and it's kind of a classic like superhero movie yeah. from an era where we weren't making a lot of them and yeah uh, yeah based on the comic yeah rocketeers a really cool movie um in 1992 he is in the cutting edge which for some reason i remember this movie i think probably because they featured it on like i love the 90s or something but it's about like <laughs> uh, a former hockey player trying to win an olympic gold as a figure skating pair with this like other woman that yeah he the the description sounds crazy i, I yep. would like to see that movie that sounds ripe for melodrama um he is then in a movie called My Samurai, which looked to me to be a very clear Karate Kid 
Kid <laughs> ripoff. Okay, cool. Um, 1993s in another TV movie called Visions of Murder. Uh, the Admiral's daughter turns out to be the stolen baby of the therapist, and the psychic connection to her true birth mother leads uh, to startling visual hallucinations and revelations. I, every word of that was somehow crazier than the last right? one. Right? Like, what the fuck is going on there? Um, and then he is in a, what looks like it was a video release, uh, Amityville, A New Generation. Oh, one of the many, many. Is this one of the ones that's now on Shutter? It, it might, might be. Because yeah. there are several. There's like four new, new four Amityville movies yep. newly up on Shutter. Yeah, there's one that I think it's, it's about called, time. It's about time. Yeah, Amityville. It's about time, which makes me laugh a lot. Yeah. But there, I know there is a new Amityville movie coming out that's yes. like an Amityville Thanksgiving movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it has right. just like a killer turkey on the poster. Yeah. Uh, I've heard movies are just pretty <laughs> bad generally. Like we didn't we watch the first one recently and we were both just kind of yeah, turned out to be a little boring. Yeah, I don't find I've watched Amityville a couple times and I know people love it. I've never found it that interesting. I don't even think the story itself is that interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um but yeah, there's like one in space that I kind of want to watch. Okay. I don't know. Uh, he's then in Tombstone, which it oh. was uh, directed by George P. Cosmatos. And we've talked about that because Bill Paxton is in it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer, Sam Elliott. So like really crazy cast. Yeah, this is a movie I wanted to like more than I did when I saw it. I need to revisit it, though. Yeah, That's a crazy uh, cast for him to be a part of. Yeah. Uh, in 1994, he is in a movie called Lipstick Camera with Corey Feldman. I kind of want to see this. Ambitious young woman wants to get into television news. She borrows a small camera from a friend and obtains incriminating pictures of the two former East German spies that they're after. Okay. Um, he is then in a movie called Don't Talk to Strangers, starring with Pierce Brosnan, mm-hmm. uh, which I think we talked about maybe watching this, uh, but I don't think it was available. Um, after Jean's first marriage collapses, she and her new husband, Patrick Brody, attempt to build a new life and move to a new state. However, her ex-husband follows them with a view to revenge. Yeah, I love a good uh, revenge movie, and Pierce Brosnan with uh, Terry O'Quinn yes. seems like a very, very interesting compelling pairing of people i believe o'quinn is the ex-husband that is stalking them awesome. and i believe he has a mustache this awesome. is one of his mustaches. sounds movies. great yeah we did look for this one this but it was hard to find yeah it might be on youtube a few of these were on youtube mm, right yeah, yeah, yeah um he is then in another tv movie called death of a cheerleader starring tori spelling okay. um who could have stabbed popular, beautiful cheerleader Stacy to death? It could have been antisocial goth girl M- Monica. It could have been angst-ridden J- Jill. Or maybe it was plain girl nobody suspected. Okay. Yep. I would watch it. Uh, 1995, he is in a movie called Shadow Warriors, uh, which I put the description here specifically so that you could tell me what this is a ripoff of. Uh, Let's see when you start to figure it out. It began as an experiment, the ultimate bodyguard, half man, half machine, programmed to do anything, anything. Global Cybernetics Inc. is making a tech is making technological history. They can create a biomechanical plasma-driven techno sapien, the best security system money can buy. But building one requires a human corpse, and when GCI's bodyguard Taylor is mysteriously gunned down, he becomes the company's 
$7.4 million prototype, the TS-4. You know, what's funny about that is that's clearly a description of RoboCop. Yes. But the prototype is called TS-4, which uh, is very close to the Terminator models, or like T-100, T-1000. Yep. So it's like very clearly those two movies that they're sort yep. of mixing and matching with. But I just cannot believe how many RoboCop ripoffs oh, there yeah. are, some of which we've talked about on the show. Yep. It's... We just keep finding more. A lot of robot guy movies. Yeah. Um, 1996, he is in the movie Primal Fear with Richard Gere and Ed Norton. I didn't know he was in that movie. I've, I've seen, unfortunately, the like last five minutes of that movie, which is the big twist of that movie. Mm. So I, I feel like I have very little reason to see Primal Fear. Yeah. Uh, he is then in the Robert Reiner movie Ghosts of Mississippi, starring Alec Baldwin, Whoopi Goldberg, and James Woods. All right. I believe it's like a southern, like, segregated, like, racism movie, and James Woods, I'm pretty sure, is one of the main racists, which Makes is sense. very fitting. Yeah. Um, 1997, he is in Shadow Conspiracy, um, another George P. Cosmanos hmm. movie starring uh, Charlie Sheen and Donald Sutherland. I'm not familiar with this one. I like these people. Yeah. Um, yeah, it seems like it's kind of like your standard like government conspiracy, like uh-huh. murder kind of uh, film. I gotcha. Um, but I, I know that I mentioned he's friends with uh, Chris Carter, but it seems like he also worked with the several people like a couple times. I feel like O'Quinn must be just like an easy person to work with. I, I, yeah, I mean, I get the impression from the amount of people that just work with him like frequently throughout yes. his career that he, he must be a, a decent person. Yeah. Um, this next one I need to see because it is yeah. directed by Mary Lambert, who directed Pet Cemetery, uh-huh. which we're big fans of. A lot of Madonna music videos. Uh, it is called My Stepson, My Lover. A kind, Great title. A kind nurse finds herself embodied in a tense and potentially deadly family affair when she falls for the son of her ruthless new husband. Yeah, I mean, that sounds fucking awesome. I Girl. hope to God that Terry O'Quinn plays the ruthless new husband. I hope so. Uh, we need to see this. I feel like this was one that we could I think only it's really on find YouTube. on YouTube. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. We got to find it. Uh, yep. Mary Lambert rocks, and this just sounds so fun. Yep. Uh, 1998, he is in the X-Files movie, the first of the X-Files oh, yeah. movies, okay. which I have seen. I saw that a few times. Yeah, I, I've seen it. A few, well, I've also seen like most of the X-Files a lot of times. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this is one I've seen several times. Um, I can't really remember him, but whenever I see pictures of him, it's just like him with a mustache, like working as some sort of government agent. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I like kind of remember that part of you being present <laughs> right. in the X-Files. Right. Um, then we get to his roles in the 2000s. So he did TV like Lost, which after I run down a couple of these other things, we'll talk about that. Um, he was in The X-Files, Jag as a recurring character, okay. Alias as a recurring character. Abram show. Yep. Uh, NCIS and Law and Order Criminal Intent. Um, the X-Files episode, uh, one of the ones he was in is one that I remember pretty vividly. It's about this like, um... A pregnant woman, a pregnant policewoman experiences visions that lead her to to the remains of two FBI agents who went missing in the 40s while on the trail of the serial killer that later got caught. Uh, But the killings begin with, uh, but now the suspect is 77. So there's this Hmm. like really interesting, like people keep getting like brother and sister carved into their skin, uh, which is why I like very vividly remember this episode. It's one of the ones I feel like I rewatch a lot. Interesting. Um, but yeah, let's let's talk about Lost. 
Yes, please. Let's talk about Lost. This is one of my favorite cultural events ever. I, I loved Lost. I don't even know where to begin. So I have ju- we just finished it, me for the first time. Yeah, I was re-watching it for the first time since it aired with yeah. Tori. Be- she, you know, agreed to watch it with me, basically, because I was like, you know, I've been looking for an excuse to watch this show again. I love this show. Yep. I don't know if you will love it, but I, you know, I would like to watch it with you, and, and you agreed. I am so conflicted about this show. Uh-huh. Like, I feel I have so many complicated feelings. Yeah, you that sound I'm, like a real Lost fan. I am trying to just hold all of them and be okay with it. Because yes. there are parts of Lost I really loved. Yep. And there are parts of Lost that make me want to punch a hole in the wall. Uh-huh. Um, and part, and I, I also know, like, you know, it was of a time, but there are a lot of, like, very problematic things Absolutely. about Lost, yeah. which watching it for the first time now made it really hard to, like, see past some of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am mostly grateful that we have progressed in many ways as far as diversity and also, yeah. like, our treatment of characters because there's a lot of fat phobia with Hurley, who is, I think, a really great character. Great character, yep. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when the show started, like... Um, uh, Locke was like immediately one of my favorite characters, um, along with like Sun and Saeed, mm-hmm. um, and then later Desmond, who mm-hmm. just like, uh, and yep. Sawyer, who just grows on you yeah, over you, time. You picked all the best characters, yeah. like right off the bat. I, I had been told that by people, yeah. and so I felt I felt good. I was yeah. like, okay, cool. Um, I think Locke at first, I was like, I don't know about this guy, but then there's just something, and I, it's all because of O'Quinn. Like, yeah. he is so fucking good, mm-hmm. and at the beginning he is you know he is someone that experiences a miracle in the midst of this like really traumatic experience mm-hmm. and so that like totally changes him and like makes him this like really interesting spiritual figure in the show um that really is just trying to embrace this place he is at and you know all of the things that come along with that um and yeah. I just, I love him um, so I, much. It makes things that happen on, like, later on in the show with him hard for me. Uh, and I still find it very hard. But I think he is still, like, consistently such an interesting character. And also a really heartbreaking character. He's truly a tragic character. When yeah. you When you get the full view of the show, especially re-watching it, I was like, boy, I did not remember, like, how truly tragic yeah. this is. And because of, like, the type of character he is, he has a lot of interesting, like, ideological kind mm-hmm. of... Of, um, give and take with other characters like him and Jack of course is yeah. a big one yep. um, but and unfortunately this character left the show um, seemingly under like bad terms yeah. uh, but there's a character um, Mr. Echo <laughs> who another character I loved as soon yeah, as he came on yep. and I was so excited to see him and Locke's relationship yes. uh, progress because uh, Mr. Echo was like a priest and so they like kind of like had this like tug of war with like religion and ideology and spirituality and i was like oh this is gonna great be great and then that character leaves and you're like oh fuck like (laughs) this could have been so good um but all of that stuff i just found like really interesting um and there were times that i was like oh i'm like very conflicted about Locke as a person and the choices he is making because of this like you know trajectory that he is on this like journey that he has decided he is going to take place on in but I, th- I still think he is just, like, fascinating and, and at times really wonderful. At times, like, I really do just, like, 
appreciate the hell out of John Locke and his he's got like a sturdiness at times mm-hmm. that I think is like really important when the other characters especially since like Jack is like such a fucking chaos monster mm-hmm. that like Locke's steadiness like oftentimes is like a very calming presence yeah, on the show. You're talking about like beautiful moments like when he w- he helps he gets Claire to help him build her a crib for her coming baby yeah. without her really knowing that that's what she's doing, knowing that she needs someone to talk to. She needs to keep her hands yeah. busy. She like he, he just by observing her knows that there are like a bunch of things she kind of needs in this moment that yeah. she doesn't even know how to express. Which and he does that a lot. Mm-hmm. He finds moments with people that like just need something and mm-hmm. he's like, okay being that for people. Mm-hmm. When Jack is off doing God knows what with mm-hmm. Kate, and <laughs> He's, he is a character that is in the moment and in tune with the moment, yeah. Or, or that's what he aspires to be, right? That yeah. he's a character that, upon experiencing this miracle, aspires to sort of like be in the moment and yeah. be present for what's happening around him, where every other character is kind of working against that. Yeah, it's it's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, there are things that happen that yes, are yes. fucking crazy. And I will not say them, especially yeah. since my dad is watching Lost right now. Yeah. And I don't want to ruin that for him. Yes. <laughs> Suffice to say, he is a character. He is one of, not one of few characters, but because there are a few that have like pretty interesting dramatic arcs that yeah. take them in a lot of places. But in particular, he has an arc that takes him in a lot of places and requires a lot of him as an actor. Yep. And I think is like such an incredible highlight reel for like what he's capable of as an actor. There's a lot of sad things that happen to him, especially in a lot of the flashbacks. And you just feel for him so much because he really is so good at at playing this character and embodies him so well Mm -hmm. that like when you see these things just consistently happen to him, like you are just as heartbroken as he is. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Like those are the things that make me emotional to the point where like, when we get to like a part later in the show, I won't even say where, cause I feel like that might be too much information. Sure. But like, um, there are some moments with him towards the like end where I just like broke down crying immediately. Cause mm-hmm. they, uh, I didn't know how much like his character meant to me and how much, his relationship with other people meant Watching to me. Watching him untangle his relationship with certain characters. For, yes. Well, we could say, like, like with Jack. Watching yeah. him untangle his relationship with Jack is very emotional. And, yeah. and very, for both of those characters, is like a rewarding thing to watch them go through together. Yeah. Which it's like, yeah, if, if they had met under different circumstances, like... What what could their relationship have been like, yes. and how could they have helped each other yes, yes. in really important, impactful ways? Because yes. um, you know, so many of these people are so fucking damaged. Yes, yes, <laughs> yep. um, yeah. Which is one of the wonderful, beautiful things that I think Lost does in its ending. Yeah. Even though so many things are imperfect about its its ending. Yeah. I agree. Um, I do have a couple notes here Please. and some quotes I hear as about well. Lost. Um, so. Although always friendly on set, apparently he kept very private and mysterious, um, kind of like separating himself from his younger co-stars who were often like partying uh, Mm -hmm. when they weren't shooting. Um, He kind of 
in doing so keeps that enigmatic aura um, so that they kind of like continue to regard him as this like mysterious character, which is very much like what Locke is. That's pretty cool. It makes me like him and respect him as a person a lot too, because this cast was like literally like known for being like party animals. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. There are me. a lot of sort of like alarming stories about this cast partying in Hawaii. So that, that makes me like him a little bit that he just sort of yeah. stayed above that. Um, one of the few cast members who did not audition, Abrams had this in mind for him. Like he had yep. the role of Locke like down for him, totally which is really sense. cool. Yep. Um, actually learned how to properly throw and handle knives for his role. <laughs> Makes sense. Yep. Got to do it. Um, apparently at one point someone asked him, um, what the monster in Lost looked like. And uh -huh. he said, it looks like a camera on a stick. <laughs> uh <-huh>. Yep. Sounds <laughs> Which right. Which is the funniest fucking thing that you could say in that situation. Yep. Um, and then he does have this, like, kind of insightful thing about Lost, uh, about, like, his character. He's like, I've told the producers that I miss the old John Locke. I wish he hadn't found those damn buttons sometimes. Mm. But these ups and downs reflect uh, everybody's. Uh, you can't always choose the way things go. That's life. That is very interesting because I, I do think you can a little bit feel in the writing of the yeah. show that John Locke may have been on one trajectory that sort of gets altered by some plot yeah. things in the show. Um, and that is interesting that he maybe saw different things for that character yeah. than what the show delivered for that character. Which I think is how I feel about it, too. Yeah. I feel that way with a couple people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah, still very conflicted. I feel like I have unpacked this show in little ways, so I am interested to see how I will feel later on. Um, yeah. I loved revisiting that show. I, I, have, I loved that show when it was on the air. I certainly had complicated feelings about it as I think all Lost fans do. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anybody that thinks it's just like a perfect show. Um, but uh, revisiting it was very rewarding. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed watching I it I love again. the way you describe the show specifically as a like perfectly imperfect show. And yeah. I, I, I said that to a couple people and they were like, yeah, that is a very good way to like grapple with what this is because like when you watch it, like it's crazy how conflicted you feel yeah. and are sometimes like, do I even like what I am watching anymore? Like there right. were times where like, do you want to watch an episode of Lost? And I was like, <sighs> yep. Like, yep. fuck okay yep. like we we were like i don't know we had like three episodes left i know and you almost and gave up i almost gave up <laughs> yeah, I and if i wasn't rewatching it with you i might have because <laughs> i didn't finish the last like four episodes of game of thrones and i probably won't because i'm like <laughs> fuck it and i yeah. i'm glad i did yeah. ultimately yes. yeah. but like that there was a moment where i was like i'm fucking done yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, i do think it's very rewarding to yeah. watch again yes so uh if people want to talk lost, uh, please feel free. Um, there's clearly. Tell us your theories. I got all kinds of theories coming out of my rewatch of lost. It's so interesting. I don't care <laughs> about any of the theories. Yeah, and I, I think that's because do. the characters themselves. And I think that's just me as a person. Like characters mean a lot more to me sometimes mm -hmm. than like the story. Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes when the story does things like to those characters, then I get like really fucking pissed yeah. or happy, yeah. whatever. But I ultimately, I think my biggest takeaway is that like, I am glad I got to know these characters. It's a character centric character forward yeah, show. For sure. and so even when it is getting very clunky in it's like final season, yeah. I still think it's doing very rewarding things with enough of those characters that I, you yeah. know, and I think they pay off a lot of things in very rewarding ways in the finale. 
even if you feel complicated about like what they're even doing to yeah. do that in the finale. I think the I, mean? f- I think the finale is very emotionally manipulative. Yes. That doesn't mean it didn't work for right. me still right. yeah. in some ways. Yes. Yeah. Like I still bawled my eyes out, yes. yeah. but I also feel like I bawled my eyes out because I was a little bit manipulated. Y- yes. And that's yeah. not a great feeling. Yeah. <laughs> there, I, I, the way I would describe that is there's like a big cheat that they use in the final season to yeah. sort of like have some emotional payoffs Yeah, that I have come around to thinking is actually quite a clever cheat from like a writer's perspective, yeah. but I agree certainly feels like very manipulative yeah. from an audience perspective. Yeah. I have some fucking things to say to yeah. JJ. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, in 2000, he is in a TV movie movie called rated X with Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen. The brothers. I didn't realize how often they work together, even yeah, though I probably should have. Actually. Yeah. Yep. Uh, biopic of the notorious Mitchell brothers who opened a successful San Francisco strip club and a thriving porn business that led to a downward spiral of power and greed. Okay, not only does that sound good, I am now very curious if this is the inspiration for the Night at the Roxbury. Could be. Need to know. Um, 2002, he is in a sports comedy called Hometown Legend. Okay. um, Which I feel like for some reason that sounded familiar to me. Like it was like a kid's movie or something at the time that I remember. Um, 2003, he has an uncredited role in Old School. Which I've definitely seen, cannot remember. I have no idea what he's doing in that movie. But that is a movie where it is just like all of these older dudes like hanging out i'm like yeah he could have just been like in a scene in a background like role somewhere i don't know yeah i'm so curious so curious uh then we get to his roles in the 2010s uh so for tv he was in things like falling sky phineas and ferb the blacklist the blacklist redemption which it is interesting he was in the blacklist because um what's his name who's also one of the leads uh oh but um uh, Michael Emerson. Ben. Yep. Michael mm-hmm. Emerson. Yeah. Um. Yes. From Lost. Yeah. yeah. Michael Emerson from Lost. Uh, it reunites the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there are some other shows and things that they were on together as well. I tried to cross-reference and I couldn't find. I think there's one you mentioned where they like might both have they recurring roles, yeah, but I can't, I can't remember. remember. Um. But yeah. Also, I didn't really know there was a blacklist like redemption, like another spinoff show. Right. Um. He was also in Castle Rock, which now I need to rewatch. Cool. Ca- well, I, I've only seen the first see few episodes. Okay. But okay. Um, and then uh, he was in Hawaii Five O with. Oh sure, um, well, so that reunites him with Daniel Day Kim. Yes, also exactly. From Lost. Yeah, uh, love Daniel Day Kim. Uh huh. Um, in 2011, he was uh, a part of the Human Preservation Project that uh, with Summer Glau. Okay. Uh, it's an alternate reality game that okay. the two of them start in. Why do I know about that? Weird. I don't know. I couldn't find tons of information, but also just like a really interesting pairing of humans yeah. doing this thing together. That is interesting. Um, in the 2020s uh, for TV, he was in things like Resident Alien, uh, which... Oh, I forget the lead in that, who I really like. Oh, He's is also that from, Alan Tudyk? Yeah, Alan Tudyk, uh, who I really love. Um in 2021, he was in a movie called Christmas Sale, uh, a TV movie that he starred in with Katie Sackoff, which is oh. fascinating. Yeah. Uh, Liz receives a call for help from her father to return home for Christmas, and she 
wants to create a whimsical Christmas celebration. So I think literally a like Hallmark Christmas yep. movie. Probably. It's interesting that he like after Lost really becomes like just exclusively like a TV star basically. Yeah. Yeah. It seems that way. And like seems to still get like, you know, recurring roles in those oh, yeah. things. But yeah. No, legitimately like a TV star. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. That, that, that is interesting. He sort of, he does not do a lot of movies after Lost. Uh, yeah, but apparently he hosted uh, a show called Mysteries of the Missing on the Science Channel. Oh, okay. Um, also, not many people know this, but he is a talented guitarist and singer. Um, hmm. He's a big fan of Neil Young and can apparently do a dead-on impression of him. Oh, well, I'll have to see if I can find any yeah. music by him. I would love to listen to some music by my man, Terry O'Quinn. I, did tr- I feel like I found some decent stuff. I did try to find more like insights and quotes and stuff, but pretty much every interview that I could like readily find is people asking him about Lost. <laughs> and so I was like, I can't really find anything about some of these other things, uh, unfortunately. It's it's wild that like the two things he's definitely going to be known for are the stepfather and Lost. Yep. These like very genre, but popular, but weird and culty. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like somehow both culty and popular yep. weird genre stuff. That he just is so fucking charismatic and terrific. He's great. And, like, he lights the screen on fire in both of those things, you yeah. know? Like, uh, there are times when I'm like, oh, he's, like, really creepy or weird. But then there are times where he is so charming where I'm like, do I have a crush on Terry O'Quinn? <laughs> <laughs> like, yep. But, like, he's, like, so good at, at playing those roles yeah. in that way. And, and can be pathetic, can be authoritative, can be, yeah. like, there's so many things that he can do so well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah he's just, he's fucking great. I'm I so happy we, we covered this. him. Yeah, I'm I, happy we finished Lost before we did this, too. I, know. I mean, I really, that's what I know him as. I know him as John Locke. Yeah. And so it was, like, it was very cool to sort of, like investigate him as an actor because yeah. I know him as this one specific role so well. Yep. Yeah. And that, I mean, that is definitely was like super impactful for me, like getting to know this character or this actor in like a more in-depth way. Cause yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you just spend so much time with Locke and yeah, I fucking lost but <laughs> you'll have more lost thoughts to come you'll never stop thinking about it i know i'm just gonna wake up in the night like angry at times when we finished like i literally garrett was like trying to talk to me about it and i was like i can't unpack this right yeah. now i like need to sit with this and just like let it be push it out of my brain a little bit and there are times when we've like when we were trying to talk to our friends about it at their house last weekend where i like almost started crying so I started getting emotional when I like <laughs> went to talk about the things that really impacted me yeah. and I was like okay clearly this has impacted me in a big way even yeah. though I find myself mostly being angry some <laughs> at yeah, times yeah. Yep. so yeah 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 but then you think about Sawyer and what he went through in season five and oh, and his just, little uh, dimples yeah it's so crazy that I love Sawyer as much as I do, considering how terrible he starts off as. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I, I do love when shows, like, get me to a place where I do love a character. Because, um, you know, I Jack has some interesting stuff happen to him and I think has an interesting character arc, but I overall don't really like Ki- right. Jack. Uh, I, like I think Matthew Kate's Fox fucking terrible. Jack more than I like Jack, if yeah. that makes any kind of sense. Yeah, I, uh, Kate's a bad character. Yeah, yeah, she's terrible. And, you know, apparently not a great person in real life either, right. so fitting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, then there are so many of these other people um, who you're just like, oh God, what a what a wonderful person I got to, to know yep. and spend time with. Yeah. 
and that yeah. like Ben is one of those people by the end of the show that you feel that way about yeah. is like really remarkable. That's the show's really good at stuff like so that. So crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, like there is like a restorative justice, like community healing moment at the end of that show yeah. that I was like, oh, like we do need to see more of this actually played out yeah. <laughs> in yeah. in like real life, but yeah. also like seeing that in shows and yeah. things too, yeah. um, I think would be good for us as a society. Yeah. That yeah. that show is definitely about healing in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. I'm so glad you watched Lost with me. Thank yeah. you for doing that. Thank you, Terry O'Quinn, for being so for for delivering so hard that you got Tori all the way to the end of Lost. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah. I mean, it, honestly, he is one of the big parts of the finale that like really works for yep. me. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. And that's just and that's all Terry O'Quinn. That's yeah. just like because he is who he is, and yep. he. As soon as he like turns that light on as lock, I'm like, fuck. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he rocks. Yep. Lo- love him. Glad glad we got to do this. This was super fun. Yep. Um, why don't we plug some things and get out of here? Yeah. Um, so what do I have to plug? Oh, I was on a couple podcasts recently. I think I may have mentioned one of them last time, but um thank God it's Friday, a horror podcast with a cat from Hear a Scream. Uh, I got to be on and I got to talk about Crimes of the Future, um, which, you know, anytime I can talk about Cronenberg is great. Um, I'll also be on a podcast called Fishnets and Philosophy coming up soon um, with some more of my like international horror community that I'm really getting to know through Twitter, which is been a, I've had a lovely Twitter experience thus far because <laughs> you're of the that. only one. Congratulations, the only person. <laughs> uh, and then yeah, I'm uh, you know it is October. It is uh, not October. It is the end of August, but fall is coming up, yeah. uh, which is October for me. Uh, and I'll have some cool like horror pieces that I am working on. And um, also, Hear Us Scream Volume Two will be coming out in October, which I have a personal essay in. Hey, you've got to be published. Yeah, I sent in my final draft of said essay and um yeah keep an eye out because there i think pre-orders will also be opening up for that soon and you can purchase it if you missed the um the funding that we did earlier in the year cool yeah it's exciting mm-hmm. uh yeah i was on a recent episode of too fast too forever a fast and furious podcast that i enjoy i talked about hell or high water with those guys um, which was super fun i like that movie i like those guys check their podcast out um, and you can find me at Philadelphia on the internet. That's with an F. Um, check me out on Letterboxd there. And uh, check us out on moviejohn.com. Yeah. And I'm the Neon Banshee on things. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and we are Killer Bees, Killer BS podcast everywhere BS. on the internet. We are. Uh, let's get out of here, Buzz. Buzz.